This is the Truth Network. Coming to you from an entrenched barricade deep in the heart of Central North Carolina. Masculine Journey After Hours. A time to go deeper and be more transparent on the topic covered on this week's broadcast. So sit back and join us on this adventure. The Masculine Journey After Hours starts here now. Welcome to the Masculine Journey After Hours. We are so glad that you're with us, that you've downloaded the podcast and are listening. We've got a great uh, show set with Morgan Schneider, author of Becoming a King, uh, a friend of the ministry um, of ours in, in, in that if he hadn't done what he had done years ago with John Eldridge and others, there wouldn't be a Masculine Journey radio show and there, there wouldn't mm. be the Masculine Journey boot camps and different things that we've done over the last 11 years together as a band of brothers. And so we're thrilled to have Morgan on. Um, we were talking in the show earlier about this whole idea of the fact that there has to be an excavation and that you have to give yourself over to this holy, as in holy, H-O-L-Y, um, holy excavation process to allow God to begin to excavate things. And we want to start out with a clip that we're going to uh, jump into. And this clip comes from the movie Gladiator, and it's not one that we've played on here a lot. I don't know if we've ever used this clip, actually. But it, the, to set it up, it's Commodus is hearing from his father um, that he's not going to be the emperor. And, and there's a whole reason why. And um, listen to the clip, and then we're going to talk to Morgan a little bit about it and, uh, and maybe some other stuff regarding this holy excavation that happens in our life. Yes, Father. You will not be emperor. Which was the older man is to take my place? My powers will pass to Maximus to hold in trust until the Senate is ready to rule once more. Rome is to be a republic again. Maximus. My decision disappoints you? You wrote to me once, listing the four chief virtues. Wisdom. Justice, fortitude, and temperance. As I read the list, I knew I had none of them. But I have other virtues, Father. Ambition. That can be a virtue when it drives us to excel. Resourcefulness. Courage. Perhaps not on the battlefield, but... There are many forms of courage, devotion to my family, to you. But none of my virtues won your list. So here's a man who uh, just got some really bad news. Um, he, he got that, that kind of disruption in his life that God often gives us. Um, as the the diggers begin in our life, if we're willing to submit to the digging that goes on. And so we've got Morgan Schneider on to talk about that. Morgan, I would love to hear your thoughts on that clip and and other things, Masculine Journey. Yeah, it's really a powerful, moving scene. And there's even one, actually, that, that comes before it that 
that ties into it so well. You know, as you guys know, every great story borrows its power from the gospel, the story of all stories. And so what strikes me in that is you hear in Commodus, he's longing for something. He has the question that's unanswered and below the, the, the asserting, these are my virtues. This what is what I do have. You can see the boy just scrambling with this question. Am I not lovable? Do I not have what it takes? Don't you see me? Don't you choose me? He's just needing. He's sticky. He's clingy. And therefore, he's not a man that can be entrusted with power. And that's the central question. When can you entrust a man with power? And that is a question that we must ask ourselves. Because that question will lead us on a treasure trail that leads us back to the center, back to True North, back to the center um, storyline of what God is really up to, that God is orchestrating through everything else a path of restoration where we become initiated and wholehearted as men. That's what God is up to. And the theme before that that's so powerful is that we have Marcus Aurelius, you know, the um, the leader of Rome, and you have Maximus, the, the general of the Felix Legion, and Maximus um, is simply a man at his post. He's a man who's become the kind of person that can be entrusted with power. And at this point, his assignment is to steward the Felix Legion. And so Marcus Aurelius knows that technically the throne should go to communists, but in truth, in order to restore the republic, right, it's the kingdom, to restore the kingdom in freedom, in life, in the fullness of what it was intended to be, it needs to be under good care, under authority that will rule on behalf of others. And so Maximus is, is, is brought in to, um, to the, the emperor, and Marcus Aurelius says, I need you to become the king. I need you to be the emperor of Rome. And will you take on this task? Now, just imagine when you are handed the keys to a kingdom, just apply this to your life, where you want more, where you want to build, where you want to exert power, where you long to make a name for yourself, to get something going. And Maximus says to Marcus Aurelius, he says, with all my heart, no. I don't want that kind of power. And the most stunning line in that scene is Marcus Aurelius turns with a tear in his eye and he says, Maximus, that's why it must be you. Because you've become the kind of man that can be entrusted with power and it will not bring harm to yourself and those under your care. You've been through a process of great suffering. You've passed through death to a greater life. That's the kind of man I want to become. And what I want to suggest that that's what's available to all of us. If we would re re risk believing in a path that is truly life, that's, that's narrow, that few choose, but for those that choose, we can have life as it was meant to be. You know, before the after hour show, we were talking with Morgan, Brian, and you talked about asking him to talk about the book and those of us who have kind of watched you um, mature in the kingdom. And I don't mean to say that in a condescending way at all, um, but we've watched your life over the last 11 or 12 years, Morgan, many of us in this room have, 
and uh, I will just I'll tell a quick story. The first time I met you was at an advanced boot camp in I think March of 2009. Sam and I teamed up and made our first dangerous heart boot camp and good heart boot camp in November of 2009. So we were babies and rookies and didn't have a clue what we were doing. And all of the guys in this room are a result of you doing a little thing on Sunday about how to do a boot camp. And I hope you don't remember this, but um, <laughs> but after you had finished doing that, I had listened to you all weekend, and and the thought hit me. I was about, in my mind, fourteen or fifteen years older than you. Um, had been pastoring churches for the better part of twenty years by that time, and here's this young guy, Morgan Schneider, who is up on stage and doing a wonderful job and communicating wonderful truths and i was mad i was upset about it and i was an arrogant jerk i'm still an arrogant jerk i'm just you know god's excavating some of that and so in my arrogant jerkedness i I was sitting there just kind of seething with that like man what has this young guy got to tell me what what's he got to say that's worth me listening to and the holy spirit began to work on that and and i began to to allow that to happen and prayed about it and as the weekend went on more and more and more of the things that you said um hit me with greater and greater impact um in a wonderful way and so the first meeting you and i ever had i actually apologized to you you didn't know me from adam but i i said you know morgan I owe you an apology. And you went, for what? (laughs) I mean, you knew you didn't know me. And I said, well, because I've been sitting here as an arrogant jerk, um, thinking, what does this young guy have to teach me? And I just want you to know that I was judgmental and I was wrong. And I appreciate your humility and your willingness to get up. And thank you so much. And I hope and pray that nobody else is sitting here like me, who's an older guy thinking, what's this young guy got to say? And that was literally the first time you ever heard my voice. And again, I hope you've forgotten that. But Robbie and I have talked about this this whole idea of at our age, um, you know, it may seem like this book, Becoming a King, um, is maybe we're too far gone. You know, we're, we're, we're too, too late. Robbie's definitely too far gone. I've got 10 years still to catch up. But, but this whole idea, you, you talk in the book um, about – becoming a generalist and i and i i want to get to that at some point but i want to also talk about the whole process of writing the book because as as brian said you've been cultivating this material for it it feels like 10 or 11 years to us it's probably much longer to you so so talk about that a little bit sure sure there's a lot in what you just shared so first of all thank you for the confession and just the (laughs) authenticity then and now um, and on the generalist, I'd love to go there. Uh, and then on the writing process. So there's a lot in there, but I think I can tie in responding to the writing process with that first story that you told. Because one of the things I learned in the beginning of this process 22 years ago is we, we live in a culture with tons of information, right? It's, a, it's an age, it's the information age. It's exponential change, exponential growth. It's more and more faster and faster. And the problem with being a gifted man, as every man is, 
is we can easily know more than we've lived. <laughs> we can have information but lack maturity. And what I consented to back in those days when I was actually sharing on how to lead a boot camp was consenting to the lowest seat at the table where I chose to now forsake offering not out of what I know, but what I've lived. And so part of this path is taking the lowest seat at the table, choosing the slow and steady. And I realized my knowing had exceeded my living and it had to catch up. And for most young men in our gifting, that's where we find ourselves in just the natural current of things. And so it took a real harnessing where in those days I was not on stage much. So just to be clear on that story, I was sharing on how to do boot camp because I was the event coordinator. I was the behind the scenes guy hauling water, carrying bags, designing the event for the other guys, you know, Craig, Gary, Bart, John to shine on stage. I had very little stage presence and it was a wonderful season, though painful of crucifying my self promotion, my gifting, but I wanted to be anointed with power. And I knew that that only came from my living, catching up with my knowing. And so it was very similar to the writing process. I had recovered this message through sitting at the feet of elders, some 75 men like Sam and, and other men and women like him, gathering their wisdom, their responses to what are the pitfalls, what's the most important thing. And I, I had gold. And I even noticed in my body, I went from feeling behind to feeling on top. It was just an amazing emotional soulful shift of I'm on time. Everything's going to be okay. I'm in good hands. Now, I am a, 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 a communicator. I'm a messenger, and I really do believe that's part of my name in the kingdom of God, to shape and be shaped by men and women who are shaping God's kingdom. But I wasn't yet the man who could carry that. And so I was passionate about writing this message years ago, over a decade ago, and I began writing. But God was really clear, you guys. He said, first, you need to become the kind of person that can be entrusted with this sort of power. And only then do you begin to craft um, this message in a way that can truly, concisely, and empower, help bring people into deeper healing, freedom, and strength in me and my kingdom, God was saying. And so that I took the time to craft it over years and years. And then when it was complete, God said, and now and only now will I help you reach the many and find the few. Because Chesterton says that every generation loses the gospel and every generation is charged with its recovery. And so this is nothing new, but it is newly recovered. And so my writing process was one of slow and steady, consenting to becoming a son, becoming a student, becoming a generalist, becoming my true name, and putting to death the false so that I could live in ever-increasing measure, in wholeheartedness, in union with God, and letting the message be something, the book, the video series, the study guide, and everything that I've created over the last decade in Become Good Soil, to let it be an outflowing of what I've been entrusted with, not for self-promotion, and not to answer my question, not to build my kingdom, but to steward what God entrusted to my care on behalf of love for the sake of others. And so I think that's a little that highlights the story of how I came into writing what has now become becoming a king. <laughs> well, 
thank you for doing it. Thank you for waiting. Um, as painful as that is, I'm the most impatient human alive. Oh, it is painful. And yeah, right. Uh, my wife reminds me of that every time we go on a trip, and she says I'm driving um, because mm. I don't I don't want to to listen to your road rage um, or whatever. And and uh, we almost need to take separate airplanes uh, to go places sometimes, just because I am totally the destination guy, not the journey guy. And I'm learning. I'm, I'm trying so hard at 55. I'm a baby at it, at, at the being present, staying in the present, um, staying in the moment. And, and so in the book, you talk about this idea of that we need to work on the whole thing. And instead of being specialist, um, and that's, that's part of the generalist idea. And that has been, that's my favorite chapter of the book, quite frankly. I'll just, I'll be honest with you. It's where I'm at right now. You know, Brian talked yeah. about where he's at is present for him is becoming a son. And where I'm at is the generalist and understanding that and why it's important. And to give you a, a tiny bit of feedback on that, I'm building my own house right now. I've never done that before. Um, I've helped build houses. I've, I've trimmed houses. I've done all kinds of different things, but I've never been the general contractor and done the whole thing from start to finish with my money and uh, my wife's expectations. Not that they're unrighteous at all, that she's very gracious, but, um, but you know, if I fail, I make a fool out of me and her and everybody else. And so for the last year and a half, I've been telling Robbie and Sam, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. I know I have to do this, but I'm scared to death because I've never done it from start to finish. And, and you talk about that idea of working on the whole thing. And so if you would enlighten us a little bit on that. Sure, sure. Because it's a very important category and it can easily be missed. It can easily be missed. And so here's here's the question that I want to start this dialogue is where do you feel uncomfortable as a man? Where do you feel unsteady? Where do you feel exposed? Where do you feel around other men well. like you don't? Fit, right, and I'm not speaking even to you, Darren. No, we're, we're all of us have our shoes and socks off now. We're using and fingers I'm my, and I'm toes. My, I want you to know I'm wearing my car heart just for Andy. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. um, right, you know, I mean, there how many places? It's easier to tell you the places we don't feel that way. Okay, okay, but here's what's so important: is it's very easy to get a false security if someone else just heard your story and they go, "Oh man, I got this generous thing." I, I work with my hands all the time. Like I can build, I built my own house. Yeah. So I got this, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But what I want to say to that guy was, how are you handling your daughter's heart? Amen. And coming to the center of her story as a girl for her sake. How are you playing her games? How are you watching her, her shows? How are you enjoying being a master of her hobbies uh, alongside her? How are you painting her nails? Okay, so for the guy that kills it on a golf course in a boardroom, right? But then his car breaks down, and the tow truck guy shows up, and they're looking under the hood, and the tow truck guy goes, what do you think's wrong? And the guy's terrified, 
right where he says, well, if he was honest, he'd say, what's wrong is it doesn't work. It was working before. <laughs> and I turn the key and it doesn't work. It stopped working. That's what's wrong, right? But then there's another guy that kills those things. He can work on engines, but you put him at a meal with white linen tablecloth and four forks and three glasses. And he's going, what the hell does a guy need three forks for? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay, so we all have a frontier. And we all have a frontier in this category of a generalist. Right? Ronald Reagan says sometimes the best thing for the inside of a man is the outside of a horse. We were born into a particular story, a particular time in history that's very unique. It is unprecedented. If you look over human history, the, a conservative estimate is, is our reality in many ways, which is the industrial age, the informational age, the technical revolution, it represents like 1.5% of human history at the, at the most but it's very likely to be 0.001% of human experience. Like, we don't have time to unpack that all now. <laughs> but there were massive shifts in humanity. Most of humanity was the same, roughly, from Adam and Eve to ancient Mesopotamia and farming. And then there was not much change from 1700 AD, or from 3200 BC to 1700 AD when you get the revolution the Industrial Revolution, and you get machines, and you get steel, and you get engines, okay? So what's so important is we have to ask what Isaiah asked 2,000 years ago, what times do we live in? Because he says no one stops to think. And so if we stop and assess the world in which God chose for us to be born, it's very unique, and it's an age of specialization where we learn to get really, really good at a few things. And the problem with specialization that we justify and reduce life to this common denominator of a thing called money is a means of exchange, is it makes all things equal. But as a man, all things are never equal. And so God meant something when he meant us as men. And the idea of becoming a generalist is to recover the whole of a man, to recover all the parts of what God meant when he meant us as a man universally. And so there are parts of us that have gone to sleep. It's like a muscle that you have a broken arm in a calf. The bone is healed, but when the calf comes off, the muscle muscles are atrophied. And what you find when you experience a lot of men are atrophied parts of what God meant in masculinity. Part of that is because of the culture we live in. Mm -hmm. And so the invitation to become a generalist is to recover the whole of a man and that is very unique to every man. And so that's why it's so important to start with the question that I pose, is what is our frontier? Where do we feel exposed? Where do we feel disqualified? Where do we feel uncertain? And if we move in those directions, inviting God to father us through the process of becoming a generalist, then it's on this foundation as a wholehearted man and the things we all share in common it's the foundation at which we were intended to become the specialist, the craftsman, the unique image bearer that God had intended. But without that, without that generalist, we, we, we remain uninitiated. And the problem is when we aren't wholehearted and we, we, we turn to external things to fix, but you cannot trust a man that hasn't become the 
whole of a man as a generalist. So whether it's a broken mower or a broken heart, we have to ask the question, how do we recover our whole heart as a generalist in the things that we share in common? That's so cool. I, you know, my wife, <laughs> your wife kind of knows, by the way. And so, yeah, that, ask her, right? <laughs> ask her the question. She'll tell you three things you can do. So, you know, scare you to death. true story. I am the Christian car guy. I have a national radio show, and a lot of people think I know a lot about cars. But, you know, I was the Christian car guy because I sold cars, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I and love so, it. you know, I order a trailer hitch for my Toyota, and it comes in, and it's got all these parts, and they deliver it on the door, you know, and my wife's like, you're not going to put that on, are you? <laughs> oh, oh, but you're the Christian car guy. You got this. You can nail it. Yeah, I'm a 65-year-old Christian car guy, and this thing weighs a lot, you know? But oh, nonetheless, goodness. you know, it was just like, now I know how good I'm going to feel when I get this thing installed, and, and yeah. I know... That God's God going to walk me. I, I was praying uh, constantly and thinking, you know, this is going to be a this is going to be cool. And there's this sense of righteousness, like we're going to make this right, and we're going to do it right. We're not going to have extra parts, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I normally would rush things. And, and really, you know, just stepping in. And again, I could have gotten some help. Was, you know, I could have called Darren or somebody that knew what they were doing, um, but. It was still, you know, part of that pose that everybody thinks, oh, he knows everything yeah. about cars, but, you Totally. Know. <laughs> well, Robbie, let me ask you Those this. of us that know you so, know different, but. So, Robbie, two questions. What was it like when you were actually, as a matter of fact, trying to install the hitch? And what did it feel like when you were done? Well, what was like, you know, clearly like, oh, man, I don't know if I can get this done. And then I had to lift up this one part with one hand to try to get the bolt in at the same time. And I was trying to come up with, you know, makeshift ways to get that thing lifted because I'm just not that strong anymore. And I was just praying, God, what, what's my next move here? You know, I got to and I thought, man, I'm not going to be able to get it done. I'm not going to be able to get it done. And then all of a sudden, boom, the bolt went through and it was like, hallelujah. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Hey, Morgan, yeah. thank you so much for hanging out with us. We would love to have you back anytime you want to come hang out with us for an hour or 27 minutes. But I want guys to go get this book. If I, I want women to go get this book, Becoming a King, Morgan Schneider. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it, uh, the video series, the study guide. There's a ton, a ton of content on Morgan's podcast, Becoming Good Soil. Um, just so much valuable information there and we also want you to go register for a boot camp coming up July 16th through the 20th masculinejourney.org